0: Thank you for listening to the Faith Bible Church podcast. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit us at faithbiblemd.org. I'll invite you to take your copy of the Word of God and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 30, briefly, then we'll go somewhere else. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30, By faith, though, walls of Jericho fell down after they had encircled it for seven days. All right, so let's turn to that very account in Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6, and we'll pick it up in verse number 1. Now Jericho was tightly shut Because of the sons of Israel, no one went out and no one came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and its valiant warriors. You shall march around the city, all the men of war circling the city once. You shall do it so for six days. Also, seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Then on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests will blow the trumpets. It shall be when you make a long blast of the ram's horn and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people will shout a great shout and the walls of the city will fall flat and the people will go up every man straight ahead. says here in the Hebrew, Yehiko, sigara, um, sigara. Literally, Jericho, shut up, shut up. Jericho shutteth itself up and is shut up. In Hebrew, the verb, the sigara, is repeated twice, for emphasis, and this is a common Hebrew language uh, technique to repeat words to drive home the point. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The fact that Jericho is shut up, shut up emphasizes the difficulty of the obstacle that is facing the children of Israel. Jericho has... Batten down the hatches, as maybe our nautical people might say. Jericho's on red alert. They are closed off behind their war, their wall, and they're all ready for war. What's got Jericho so worked up? Well, I guess they probably heard about this nation of slaves that walked out on the most powerful empire in the world. And when Egypt tried to stop them, their, their god parted the Red Sea, and the people escaped through the Red Sea on dry ground. And when the armies of Pharaoh tried to follow after them, Israel's God closed in the sea and drowned them all in the Red Sea. Ah, that's 40 years ago. That's probably just a bunch of rumors. Except for the fact that just a few days ago, during the flooding season, their God stopped up the Jordan River, parted it, and the whole nation walked across dry ground into the land of Canaan. He did it again. And now they're right outside the city preparing to attack. And that, what is the most logical thing for Jericho to do? Jericho, Shigara, um, It's all shut up. And for Israel, this is going to be a very big challenge. See, here's the thing. God had promised Abraham when, that he was going to give his descendants the land of Canaan. But first, the nation was going to spend 400 years in slavery and... That's exactly what happened, right? The people went into Egypt and then they were enslaved there for 400 years. Once again, predictive prophecy is our smoking gut evidence that the Bible is truly the word of God. Things that God previously promised to his people hundreds and in some instances thousands of years in the past. And then they came true. The prophecies are exactly fulfilled exactly as God spoke to the prophets. No other ancient religion does this. No other ancient writing has the Bible's track record of prophetic fulfillment. The fact that preachers nowadays do not and have not taught their people these truths is a dereliction of duty. And it's why I have and will continue to beat this drum until it is common knowledge for everyone who attends Faith Bible Church The fulfillment of predictive prophecies is the smoking gun evidence that the Bible is, in fact, true. Only an all-knowing, all-powerful God can tell you what's going to happen 400 years beforehand and then bring it to pass exactly as he decreed it. Now, to know these things and to reject them is to be intellectually dishonest and willfully ignorant. And this is what many people claiming to be theologians are, intellectually dishonest. They study the scriptures in seminary, but not in the manner to highlight the truths, but rather what they teach in the seminaries is liberal academic arguments against the plain, literal, written word of God. In other words, they learn what some academics said in the 1800s and in the 1900s, concluded that the word of God can't be accepted as fact because of this minute observation or this obscure textual variance. And then all the academics, quote, these people in all their dissertations for the last 100 years, and oh well, I can quote Julius Wellhelzer, look how educated I am now. I can read what he said in the early 1900s. And the average person sitting in their American church for the last 100 years doesn't even realize that this has been going on. The person who went to divinity school did not study the Bible. What they learned is liberal academic arguments against the plain literal written word of God. And that is why, the mainline present denominations are ordaining lesbians. Look, here's the thing. God has decided to bless Faith Bible Church. I don't know if you were down in the fellowship hall between services, but I couldn't even get a piece of cake. It was ridiculous. There's so many people down there. I'm losing weight over this. It's just <laughs> probably a good thing. Oh, God has been blessing us. We are one of the fastest growing churches in Southern Maryland. But you know what? Nobody really cares. Nobody in any of the Protestant churches are calling me up, asking me my opinion on anything. No religious journals or publications or media outlets are going to report on what's been happening down here. No bishops or cardinals or presbytery of any kind. No academic institution, divinity schools. No conferences, pastoral conferences care what God is doing at Faith Bible Church. And I can do nothing to set anybody straight on any of their false teachings or poor practices. I know what does and does not work, but nobody wants to hear it from me except you. For whatever reason, you show up here and you listen. So I'm going to inform you all the reason why God is blessing us is because we believe, and we study, and we proclaim the Bible is the word of God. So. If you want to learn liberal academic arguments against the plain, literal, written word of God, you've come to the wrong house of worship. You're not going to get the Sparkle Creed here. Now, what you're going to get here is what you've always got to Faith Bible Church, is what's going on even this morning. Joshua chapter 1, be strong and courageous. Be careful to do according to the law of Moses, my servant commanded you. Do not turn from the right or to the left so that you may achieve success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, by which you shall learn to do according to all that is written therein. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. I Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified nor dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You want to be prosperous and successful? You want the blessings of God? You want His favor upon you? Do what is written in here. The children of Israel just boldly marched into the promised land with orders from God to conquer it and utterly destroy the inhabitants. And the first city they got to take on is Jericho. And the reason why this is such a challenge for them is because the devil knew the promises, knew the predictive prophecies that God spoke to Abraham 400 years ago, and he's been working for the last 400 years to get ready for this showdown. He's got hybrid Nephilim-descended giants waiting. He's got debauched, child-sacrificing, demonically-inspired false religions. He's got temple prostitutes and promiscuous cultures as far as the eye can see. He's got walled-up cities forming alliances, and he's got conniving people prepared to lie their butts off for the sake of their own survival. He's ready for them. The devil's been planning for Israel for 400 years, so let's see what they're up against. Now, Jericho is known as one of the oldest cities in the world. In Joshua's day, it was surrounded by a system of two massive stone walls. The outer wall was six feet thick and 20 feet high. The inner wall, so after going up a 15-foot slope, was a now 12 feet thick and 30 feet high and guarded in between by this slope. So practically speaking, once you get over the, if you can get over the 20-foot lo- wall, you then have to battle uphill, and you're trying to get over that 20-foot wall. You gotta think about it. Uh, you got to battle uphill, and then you get to the second foot wall there to take on what's waiting you up there. Now, if this was the armies of Rome, we could talk about, you know, all the machines they invented to besiege cities. We could talk about their crack troops and army of engineers, how they would assault this city. But this is not Rome. This is Israel, a people who just came out of the wilderness. So they got no materials. They got no military budget. They don't have any engineers. They have no siege machines. They don't even know what those things are. These walls are perfectly created to defend what Israel has, an infantry. That's all Israel has, is foot soldiers, and that's exactly what walls are built for, to prevent foot soldiers from swarming your city. So good luck climbing over the 20-foot high wall while we drop things down on your head. And if you manage to do that, good luck getting uphill through the 15 feet of that while we shoot you with arrows. And if you get to the other wall, good luck climbing that while I stand on it with a spear and I punk you right in the head, right? Just taking your eyes out because you need both hands to climb. And I'm just going to sit here and gouge you right in the face every time you stick your head up. And that's what you would have had to do to besiege that city. So Joshua, it says here, the Lord said, Joshua 6 verse 2, Lord says to Joshua, see, I've given Jericho into your hand. Really? What a gift. Doesn't look like much of a gift. You ever gotten a gift that doesn't seem like a gift? I think it was our first year of marriage. I got Eliana for Valentine's Day an ironing board. (laughs) August, not, not much of a gift, eh? Jordan, don't, don't try this. But I'll tell you, man. Oh, I, have, I will tell you this, though. Uh, we're celebrating 29th anniversary in August. So yeah. So I guess the ironing board wasn't too offensive after all. I didn't just give her an ironing board. I gave her a sweater, too. But the ironing board was just, you know, my way of being a clown, my way of giving like a little joke gift. Yeah, you know, not very romantic. I know that was the point. But you know what? I know it's a lot of you older folks are thinking, yes, we still have that ironing board. It's been around for 28 years, so the sweater's long gone in the thrift store, but that ironing board's still going strong, and I want to see if that ironing board can make it all the way to the end. Maybe we'll change the cover on it. I don't know. We'll see. It's not in the budget. See, Joshua, the Lord says, I've given you Jericho. Wow, thanks, God. Mm, how are we supposed to unwrap this gift? It's got big walls. That's a big problem. God's like, oh, the walls. <laughs> here's what we're going to do about those. We're going to have you walk around them one time for six days. And then after that, on the seventh day, you're going to walk around them seven times, and then you're going to play some trumpets, and you're all going to scream, and the walls are going to fall down. Very simple. Yet, very specific instructions. Kind of like IKEA furniture. It's very simple to put together, but very specific, and you need to, all the steps or else you'll mess up your dresser. We notice that the things God asks people to do in and of themselves themselves are not that hard. Moses, stretch forth your rod over the Red Sea and it'll part. It's not really that hard to hold a stick over some water, is it? Not hard at all. The hard part is believing that the Red Sea is going to part if you do that. Joshua will walk around that city six times. Everyone knows how to walk, right? You all know how to walk? Yeah, okay, then go do that. No ninja chaining required, no scaling walls, just walk. And the same's true for us. The things that God asks us to do are really not that hard. The question is, do we feel like doing them? And will we take the steps of faith? Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God. It's not that complicated. It's just little dutiful things. Be kind, be honest, be faithful. The instructions that God gives are simple. However, they have great meaning, like communion, right? Take communion, it's bread and some juice, and it's very simple everyday elements, but they have great meaning. So I wanted to see if I can enlighten you to the great meaning behind these simple instructions that God gave okay so there's some there's some depth here so first of all the lord says to who verse 2 Joshua Joshua's Hebrew name is means Yahweh is salvation how did the jews pronounce that name Yeshua the hebrew how they pronounce that or the greek how they pronounce that is Jesus means the same thing Yahweh is salvation Yesus, and we pronounce that in English, we say Jesus. I think that's a coincidence that the man who was chosen to lead Israel into the promised land was not Moses, but a guy named Yahweh is salvation. The same name is the only begotten son of God, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. If you ever learn any Hebrew, learn those three words. Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. You shall march around the city, verse 3. All the men of war encircle the city once. You shall do that for six days. Yeah, six days. Remember any other references to six days? Six days that God create, uh, created and worked, and then on the seventh, he rested. And on the sixth day of creation, he created man. Right? Man was appointed to work six days of labor, and then on the seventh, he too is to rest. And then a Hebrew slave, they had to serve for six years. And on the seventh year, they were released. And then the land, it could be sown. It had to be sown for six years. But then on the seventh year, it was, supposed to, it was supposed to rest. Six is repeated time and time again. When repeated three times, it is notoriously known as the 666, the mark of the beast. Revelation tells us, I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, had two horns like a lamb, spoke like a dragon, And caused all, small and great, rich and poor, free and slaves, to receive a mark on his right hand and on his forehead. And he decrees that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here's wisdom. Let he who understanding calculate the number of the beast. The number is that of a man. And the number is 666. The reoccurring theme of six in scripture is man specifically the weakness of man, the weakness of the flesh. We talked last week about our three enemies. They are, you remember, don't you? The world, the flesh, and the devil. The flesh is weak. Jesus said to his disciples, watch and pray that you won't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And yet, what do we flex to show our strength? Right? The universal symbol of man's strength is argh, the guns, right? Sun's out, guns out. Well, it's raining now, so I'll keep them away because we can be scary otherwise. I'll scare the kids. Listen to what the Holy Spirit spoke to the nation of Israel through Hezekiah, King Hezekiah. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude that he has with him, for there's more with us than with him. Really? They had a big army. Well, with him is the arm of flesh, but with us, Lord our God, to help us fight our battles. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. The arm of flesh is nothing compared to the Lord our God. And yet many people trust in the flesh. They believe in humanity. And their religion is secular humanism. That's the oldest false religion of all. That man can solve all of his problems. And that man can be like God. It's what Satan tempted Adam and Eve with. You won't die. You will be like God, he says. Well, you know what I've been experiencing all week with my sprained knee? I've been hobbling around, every step realizing how weak the flesh is. It is the foolishness of young men to think he is strong. Strong in comparison to who? In comparison to little girls? might seem strong in comparison to little kids or old people or maybe stronger than some guys your age, but that's a very low level of, to gauge strength. With engines, we talk about horsepower, right? Because horsepower is stronger than manpower, and thus engines are stronger than manpower. But even horses and machines, compared to the forces of nature, to the power of wind, water, hurricanes, tornadoes. Now you're talking about power that can pick up cars and rip up a house and flatten a building. The power of lightning, the power of volcanoes. Volcanoes can completely destroy everything around them and reinvent the landscape. No island, volcano erupts. Oh, instant island. That's real power. And these are the things that God was illustrating to Egypt. Power to rain down fiery hail. Power to part the Red Sea. Well, man, with his power, Builds a wall, a wall which is too big for other men to overcome. Have all the people march around that wall six times, six days, Joshua. And what does everyone observe on these marches? It's a big wall. See any way to get in? See any cracks in it? Anything we can exploit? No, me neither. Whew, it's a strong wall. This is gonna be too much for us. Meanwhile, the guys who built it They've got six days to stand on that wall. And look at these guys walking around. Uh, Here they come again, walking around our wall. And what do they start to think watching this for six days? I think the theologian from the 1990s, Phil Visser, had the best emotional hermeneutic in his interpretation as communicated by the French peas. (laughs) Are we really going to watch some VeggieTales pass? Yes, yes, we are. We're gonna watch some Veggie Tales this morning. Keep walking, but you won't knock down our wall. Keep walking, but she isn't gonna fall. It's plain to see, your brains are very small. To think walking will be knocking down our wall. You silly little piglet! you silly little bee, You think that walking around will bring this city to its knees? The awesome powers of this wall, we clearly demonstrated. Ah! But out here in the hot, hot sun, perhaps you're dehydrated? Ah, pity them, Philippe. Ah! Mais oui, Jean-Claude, mais oui. Won't you join me in my irritating little song? It would be an honor. Keep walking, but you will knock down our wall, keep walking. But she isn't gonna fall, it's plain to see, your brains are very small to see walking. We'll be knocking down our wall, keep walking. But you will knock down our wall, Keep walking. But she isn't gonna fall, it's plain to see, your brains are very small, see walking. We'll be knocking down our wall, it's plain to see, see. your brains are very sick. you back to your childhood. You had an awesome childhood. (laughs) For six days, all the people on both sides of the wall conclude the awesome powers of this wall are clearly demonstrated. But now we get to day seven. And on the seventh day, the seven priests blow seven trumpets, and they march around seven times. Seven Seven, seven, seven. The number of completion, the number of perfection, the number affiliated with God. Joshua, Yahweh is salvation, is leading the people of God into the promised land. The flesh, the six, the power of man will fall. Six, six, six will never be able to overcome. Seven, seven, seven. 7. It's a showdown between the power of man versus the power of God. The priests are the one leading. This is not a military battle. This is a spiritual battle. The trumpets are being blown. And I'll tell you now, that is the scariest sound to the devil. What is the sound that makes the scales on the back of his neck stand up? The sound of a trumpet all over scripture, all the battles in Israel. The trumpets are used so often. Why do you think that is? Why is the trumpet used to call the people to gatherings and convocations and battle? Why is the trumpet used in the last days to call us to our convocation, to call us to our gathering. Paul writes, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we always be with the Lord. The trumpet of God. Why the trumpet so front and center? You want to know why? Listen to what John the Revelator said in John chapter 1. He says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. What's the voice saying? Write on the scroll what you will see and send to the seven churches of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamus, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And as I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet, wrapped in the chest with a golden sash. When I saw him, I fell at his feet is dead. He placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys to death and Hades. What does Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach's voice sound like? The trumpets. John hears a voice like the sound of a trumpet, turns around and sees the Son of God. So every time Israel's commanded to blow those trumpets, it freaks the devil and the demons out because it reminds them of the voice of the Son of God, a voice that when it speaks, all creation obeys. Are you capturing the scene? Are you grasping what God's communicating here in this chapter? This is not about Joshua conquering Jericho. This is Yahweh declaring to all the fallen angels, all the false gods, and to Lucifer himself, who's taking up residence in the promised land. Jesus is coming. Yahweh is salvation. Jesus is coming with all of his chosen people. The powers of this world, the power of men, the mark of the beast, it's all going to fall. And this is why we shout the victory. Shout, for the walls are coming down. Time and time again in scripture, look what it says. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth and sing for joy. Sing praises. Clap your hands, all ye people. Shout to God with the voice of joy. Revelation, the final scene in heaven. I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters, like the sound of a mighty peal of thunder saying, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. Now, this is just my personal opinion based on what I see in Scripture. Worship in Scripture is loud, <laughs> triumphant, and enthusiastic. You know when people shout in excitement when something amazing's happening, when they're excited about victory. Woohoo! We're winning. Yeah, go Faith Bible Church softball. We're winning, right? Woohoo! Everybody gets excited and screams, don't we? Yeah, right. So that's why I'm all about exuberant, enthusiastic worship. Jesus, our King. By faith, I shout the fact that he's going to knock these walls down. And you know when people don't shout and cheer? When they're losing, right? When they believe they're losing. May our faith inspire our worship. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Power and majesty, praise to our kings. Mountains bow down and the seas will roar at the sound of his name. Well, I sing for joy. At the work of his hands, forever I'll love you. Forever I'll stand. Nothing compares to the promises I have in him. That's what's going on here. That's what's happening. So let's finish the story. Joshua 6:15. On the seventh day, they rose up early in the dawning of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. Only on the day they marched around the city seven times. At the seventh time, the priest blew the trumpets. Joshua said to the people, Shout, the Lord has given you the city. The city shall be under a ban. It and all that is in it belongs to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot and all who are with her in her house shall live because they hid the messengers whom we sent. But as for you, only keep for yourself what things are under the ban so that you do not covet them. Take some of the things under the ban and make the camp of Israel accursed and bring trouble to it. All the silver, the gold, the articles, of bronze, the iron are holy to the Lord. They're going into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted, the peace blew the trumpets, and the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout, and the walls fell flat. So they went into the city, and they took the city. Look back at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had encircled it for seven days. Who is uh, the people that have the faith here? Notice it doesn't say by faith, Joshua. Who's the pronoun there? They, right? All the nation of Israel, all the people of God after they encircled for seven days, the walls fell down. I neglected to point that out last week in chapter 29, where it said, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea. It's the faith of the nation that was being showcased in these last two verses. Everyone's stepping together by faith. I like that, because this is, Hebrews chapter 11 is more than just a series on the faith of people in the Old Testament. No, this is a chapter written to show us that we likewise can step out in faith. We, too, can be moved individually and collectively. We can personally trust and obey, and we can unite to other people of the same mindset, and we can all do something together by faith. The people of God, the congregation, can all do things by faith. A nation can do things by faith. And when we do the will of God by faith, the works of man cannot stop. The will of God, and so it was little over a year ago uh, now that Roe v.ersus Wade was overturned in the Supreme Court. Well, that took 50 years and millions of people stepping out in faith, but it worked, and that terrible wall, the law of the land, came tumbling down, which was wild to see that happen in the morally decadent time that we're living. Nevertheless, it's history now. It happened. The sound of freedom. This movie that came out, what, 10 days ago, two weeks ago, shocking the nation, shocking Hollywood. I've read all kinds of attacks and criticisms, you know, the usual name calling, ad hominem attacks that the defenders of evil love to spew. And yet the world is getting out. The word is getting out. This horrible wall of sex trafficking and human slavery and pedophilia, the wall is cracking. And people of faith are pushing back against this perverted agenda. And the light is exposing the darkness. Now, thanks to Jennifer Foxworthy and Faith Bible Church, uh, partnering with Unstoppable U Ministries, we have been on the front line of this fight. We've been walking around this wall for a while now, haven't we, Jennifer? Like uh, Tom and Michelle, we've been at the forefront addressing the pornography pandemic that feeds the sex trafficking. And we were walking around this wall, circling up by faith, following Jesus the Messiah. And we keep on because we believe one day it's all gonna crash down. These evil inventions of man cannot stand against the power of God. And likewise, in our own personal lives, we are all here today. And we all have some wall thrust up in front of us. Some obstacle that's bigger than us, more powerful than us, and there's nothing that we can do to overcome it. But Jesus says, walk by faith and not by sight. The devil always wants you to look at the wall and come to the conclusion, this is too powerful. Why bother? I'll quit. Jesus wants you to walk by faith. Follow him on the path around this thing, around this thing, and wait and see what he's going to do. He's going to knock it down going to knock it down when he's ready. And never forget, the, lastly, the grand message that is portrayed in this scene. Jesus the Messiah, what's he doing? Leading his people into the promised land and the kingdoms of men and the empires of this world and the gates of hell cannot stand against him. At the sound of his voice, it all comes crashing down. Child of God, listen to me now. Does not matter how impossible the obstacle Before you may seem, nothing's impossible to those who trust in Jesus. Lord, help us to trust in you. Help us to take the steps of faith. They're little steps. They're not hard. They're the simple things in your word. Let us just get into them and know them and practice them each and every day. And Lord, then we will see great and mighty things happen in our own personal lives and in our homes and in our children As we even think about today how this family, the Huffer family, and how Colton is going to step up here, and you've done a great work in their lives. Just little faithful things that these families have been doing, the Huffers and the Stevens have been doing, and it's reaping a blessing, and it's reaping benefits in their home. And Lord, that we would do it collectively as a church and that we could be a light in our community and that we could be a light in our nation and that we could see a righteous, just nation stand and join together to worship you, Lord, that there would be a revival in this land. Great things could happen and the enemy's empire could fall and your nation would rise up, Lord. We would pray for these things. But Lord, we know one day it's all gonna happen anyways because one day you're gonna return. and One day you're gonna make all things new. Even so, come Lord Jesus. We pray all this in your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen.